So, um, I'm particularly excited to be um, up here and being able to talk to everybody tonight. And it's like, I mean, I love being a part of this community. It's, um, you know, there's so many wonderful opportunities to connect and to serve. And, um, and I've experienced, I think, a good gamut of different uh, connections over the last couple of days. But I'm particularly excited about tonight uh, for a couple of different reasons. But um, I guess where I'm wanting to go tonight is talking a little bit about where I guess culture is at at this point uh, in the in the world in terms of there there seem to be so many moments uh, over the last year that prove that the world is getting closer and closer together and then in other ways becoming further and further apart and we're almost at the end of 2016 and it's been quite an eventful year uh, in terms of these moments moments where we can gather together and celebrate the world getting smaller and smaller, it seems. The Rio Olympics, you know, every year it seems Eurovision gets a more and more global audience. Um, there are so many sporting events that we follow from all over the world. Um, and yet, at the same time, in 2016, we've had, uh, we've had two political campaigns which uh, have proven very, very divisive, both, in here, uh, both here in Australia and over in the US. Uh, and it seems like social media is just uh, is, is flame bait all over the place. There's just arguments going on left, right, and center. So there seems to be moments this year which have just shown how globally connected the world is and yet how divided it is in other areas. And, um, and it doesn't just stop there. You know, you think about all the social issues that have, that have boiled to the top of the heap this year. Things like, um, things like immigration, gay marriage, abortion, all of that kind of stuff that, that everybody has different opinions about seems to have boiled to the top uh, over, these, uh, over these last uh, few months that we call 2016. Um, and so I guess I want to speak into a little bit about how we as a church, as a, as a community of Christ followers, can, can respond to that. Because I, th I believe that the church has been a social influence or a social institution, a community gathering for thousands of years now, and so many people look to the church or people that identify themselves with the church for a statement, for a response, for what's your opinion on this? And we've got to be really, really careful, I guess, when we identify ourselves as Christians and what we say after that. And I guess really what I want to talk to you tonight is pretty simple. It's Jesus. If you ever get an opportunity to talk to anybody, talk to them about Jesus. That's really what it boils down to. Because I don't know about you, but when I respond to social situations, when I respond to the different issues that we're faced with today, um, okay, like just a couple of months ago um, in my old workplace, they, they knew I was a Christian, and uh, when the whole uh, gay marriage plebiscite thing was coming up, they wanted to know my opinion on it, and, and I gave it to them, and I, I think I kind of said what I wanted to say, but for me, the, the battle that goes on in my head is that battle between, oh, okay, I know, like, there's the truth, and then there's speaking the truth in love, and, and there's grace, and Jesus is all about grace, but then there's truth, and Jesus is all about truth, He's all about holiness. Like, where, where is the middle there? And that's, that's the challenge I face, and I don't know if any of you face that challenge in your workplace, in your school, in your uni, but this is something that has become very, very real to me. And as I've kind of dug in and, and looked into um, what I want to talk about tonight, um, I kind of came upon the realization that it's not so much about 
our response. You know, we, we are getting pressed to make a response. We're getting pressed to give others a direction to go. But honestly, this line, this, this line that we tread between grace and truth, between speaking the truth and doing it in love and all that kind of thing, that's actually not ours to do. Ours is to show people the person who is full of both of those things, the person who is full of grace and truth. So I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus, how He has navigated these kinds of issues in the past, and how we can point others towards Him going forward. Is that okay? All right. So let's, let's talk about the Gospels. The Gospels are the story of Christ in the Bible. There's four different accounts. I'll take a quick drink break. All right. And uh, these four different accounts, I've kind of heard it said like they're, they're like... Um, they're like the same story directed by four different directors. If you're watching a movie uh, of the gospel of Jesus, Matthew, the book of Matthew, the first account of Jesus in the Bible, that'd be kind of like a really big, long documentary uh, directed by, I don't know, who directs documentaries? Uh, David Attenborough, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think he does one now. Um, no, but Matthew would be like a big, long documentary. The, the, the author of Matthew uh, he wrote it to the Jews to kind of prove that Jesus was who he said he was. So he had to give lots and lots of detail. I mean, you just open up the book of Matthew. What's the first chapter? There's so much detail in there. It's just like boring, boring, skip, skip, skip. And that's kind of Matthew. So much detail, so much context around who Jesus is uh, and who he claimed to be so that the Jews would know who he is. Uh, then if we have a look at the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is... Uh, is my personal favorite. It's, it's an action movie. You know, before there was Mel Gibson in Braveheart, before there was Denzel Washington, before there was, uh, before there was Russell Crowe in Gladiator, there was Jesus Christ in the book of Mark. Like, Mark, the Gospel of Mark is so gangster, it completely skips baby Jesus and gets straight <laughs> to the ministry. Like, I, I'm not kidding, you jump into the book of Mark, it's a roller coaster ride from beginning to end. Uh, and then we get to Luke. Luke is, um, Luke is for all of the, the sci-fi fans out there. Luke is a doctor. That's the, that's the perspective that he brings. So he spends special attention to the details of Jesus' miracles and ministry that were supernatural, that were like hard to believe. And the reason he did these things was to, again, prove that what people had heard about Jesus was true. So he gives lots of detail from different eyewitnesses in the same way that we kind of nerd out over sci-fi stuff and all the different, uh, I guess, science fiction that would go into different movies, Star Trek, Star Wars, all that fun stuff. Um, and then we come to the Gospel of John. And this is where we're going to spend a bit of time tonight. The Gospel of John, I'm just going to say, it's a chick flick. Like, I, I'm not even kidding. The Gospel of John is the Gospel of John is all about the love of Jesus. It's all about the relationships that he had with people. The the author of the Gospel of John, the Apostle John, he is um, he, he comes right out and says that he's basically Jesus's bestie, and this is the perspective that he gives when he's telling the story of Jesus. Uh, that, uh, yeah, this, this story of Jesus' love on the earth is incredible, and it's nothing that anyone has ever experienced. So that's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. So, John chapter 1. We're just going to spend a small bit of time here um, before we move on to the, uh, to the real main point I want to get to. But the first chapter of John just gives so much... Um, it just gives such a great overview of who Jesus is and what He came to do. So... Just starting in the, the first verse here, we're going to skip a few verses down to verse 14 in a second, but it says, In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, get this, full of grace and truth. He was full of grace and truth. We're going to come back to that. So, I love this verse, verse 14. Like, that verse for me is incredible. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or made His dwelling among us. It's it's, it's a proof, that statement in itself is a proof that God is who He said He is. He didn't send, uh, he didn't send a foolproof argument to the world, He sent a foolproof person. And I think this is so key, this is so key to how we respond, how we react. So often people come to us and they want to know, if we want to try and convince them of something, they want to know, like, what's your five infallible points that prove what you are saying is right? What's your argument? What's your argument? But what the world really needs in response to all of these issues is the person. They need the person. Let me say it like this. If you're sick, okay, let's say if I'm sick. I don't want to put that on you. If I'm sick, <laughs> I am sweating a heap. It's coming out both ends. It's awful. Then I don't want you guys to come to my house, knock on my door with a FedEx package saying, I got you that really big medical book. Here, read it. I'm going to throw it right back at you because it's not going to be any help to me right then and there. Not at all. What I'm going to say is, well, would you be so kind to call me a doctor? Why? Because the doctor personifies everything that's in that medical book, right? So what about if I'm, uh, what about if I'm in trouble with the law? Maybe I'm getting sued for something. I'm having a terrible day. Um, I don't want you to come to me with a legal book with all of the, with all of the, you know, the statutes and all the precedents that, that might be able to help me out. I need you to go and get me a lawyer so to, to get me out of this jam, right? Because he, the lawyer, personifies everything that's in that book. And maybe if I had something stolen, maybe my entire Blu-ray collection was stolen, I would want you to go and get the police, not just the penal code of what this criminal should do if and when he was caught. So can you see where I'm going with this? We're all broken. We need fixing. What we don't need is a book of the law telling us where we messed up. We need the person that personifies everything that was written in that book to show us, to lead us. And, uh, and I guess that's where I kind of want to steer, steer our, our discussion tonight, is that people's expectations of how we respond often comes from, uh, from people that spend a lot of time in this, and spending a lot of time in this is critical. But so often, we treat, uh, the, we treat the law what God says, we give it uh, more importance than the person who lives it out, who personified it here on this earth. And we can sometimes elevate uh, single laws or single words that have been written over the example, over the, the person of Jesus, over what He came to do on this earth. So God sent us a foolproof person instead of a foolproof argument. I guess if you get nothing else out of tonight, I want you to know that when asked for our response, we should point to the one who is full of both grace and truth. It's so, so difficult for us to figure out the line between grace and truth. I don't know about you, but I think every single person in this room 
probably personality-wise, probably swings one of, you know, either they're more of a grace person or maybe they're more of a truth person. Um, because honestly, those things don't go together. Grace and truth, they don't go together. They're beauty and the beast, they're hot and cold, it's oil and water, it just doesn't mix. Um, you've got grace people on the extreme, and I mean, if you're a grace person, I'm just going to go the way out there and just pretend that you're a real huge grace person. You're big on the grace. That you're the sort of person that is always smiling. Doesn't matter what's going on, you're always smiling. You've got this huge beaming grin on your face. Um, you are quick to give compliments. You just shower people with compliments. Um, and maybe when stuff goes wrong or you can see something that maybe doesn't quite look quite right in someone's life, you don't want to say anything to them ever. You just be like, oh, I love you so much. I just keep loving you. I'll always love you. Oh, man, you're so such an amazing person, and inside you're going, but you're just going to keep saying, you are an amazing person, I love you so much, that's grace people on the extreme. And what about truth people? Okay, who knows a truth person on the extreme? These people are pretty obvious. They're the ones who will straight look you dead in the eye and say, man, you messed up. Like, these are the people that will call, they'll call it how they see it, uh, they're, they're just all about truth. They're all about what is true. They're all about how they can represent what is true, and they're going to they're gonna shoot straight. Um, so I'm sure we all can at least think of one or two truth people in our lives. But here is a person in the Gospel of John, someone who is full of grace and truth. And I think this is profound. And, and again, that, that, that encapsulating statement of, that He was the Word made flesh. He was the Word made flesh. He was this personified. He was full of grace and truth. I think that's incredible. And I guess the story that we're going to have a look at now kind of um, puts, puts wheels on this, or puts legs on this. Uh, we're going to jump between analogies here. Okay, John chapter 8. Uh, this is a story that, um, that John tells, and it's very unique to John's Gospel. So, Starting in, starting in verse 2 here, it says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, he, Jesus, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law of Moses, it commands us that, uh, that we need to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up again and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So I guess this story is, um, it's a story of, of a lady, like it starts with a lady being caught in the act of adultery by, by the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the, the religious people. They were the ones that openly and outwardly identified themselves as religious people of the day. And they, they were really, really well acquainted with the law. The first five books of the Bible and, and the Hebrew law, they were really good at that. But they, they kind of lost touch with the author of that book. And I guess the genius 
of their, of their trap that they were trying to set for Jesus was that they were trying to set up a bit of a, a, bit of a chasm between who Jesus said he was um, and the other side of who Jesus said he was. See, the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in, in his... Um, Jesus had said that he had come to fulfill everything that was in the law, but at the same time, he was also saying that he was going to forgive people, that he had come to give grace. And so by presenting Jesus with this problem, they were trying to catch him in a bit of this conundrum. And... One second. Yeah, okay. Sorry, I kind of screwed that bit up. So, Pharisees... <laughs> it's been a long day, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sorry. Okay, so the Pharisees have tried to catch Jesus as his message has been to fulfill the law, but through love and grace. See, the, the, the bit that they were trying to get him caught between was come to Jesus for love and grace to be forgiven, and the alternative that the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to admit was, actually, no, you're going, to get, you're going to get brought to Jesus and you will get stoned because the law stands true. And thankfully, thank God, Jesus was the Word made flesh. He was incredibly smart. And he saw this come. I don't know about you. If this sort of situation happened, let's just pretend we're in the temple. I like to use my imagination here. Let's pretend we're in the temple. Uh, I'm, I'm someone teaching in the temple. And all of a sudden, from the side door, boom, come the religious leaders from down the road. They're dragging in a woman who has been caught in adultery, probably half naked, throws them in front of everyone and says, Teacher, what are you going to do? This lady was caught in the very act of adultery. What are you going to do about it? I'd be standing over here and I'd be like, actually, I'm not the real teacher here. Uh, you're looking for Pastor Steve, so I'll get him. <laughs> He'll deal with this situation. Um, th thanks, everybody. I'll, I'll be back next week. That, that's what I would have done. Uh, what does Jesus do? He, he stops. He doesn't, he doesn't say anything. He stops. He stoops down and he starts, he starts writing on the ground. And... Um, there, there's a lot of back and forth as to, as to what Jesus was actually writing on the ground at that point in time. Um, there's scholars go crazy with imagination as to what it could have been. Maybe it was the Ten Commandments. Maybe it was the One Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Uh, maybe it was the list of all the Pharisees that had just burst in and had thrown the lady in front of him. And, and it, maybe it was everything that they had done wrong. Um, we don't really know, and, it, and it's not really that important. The important thing is that Jesus stopped, and he stooped down to the ground. He stooped down to the level of the woman that had been thrown in front of him. Jesus was incredibly smart. He was the Word made flesh. He was this personified, and he's just stopping. He's pausing. And so, where does he go from there? I guess... The way that I would like to kind of look at this next section, I'm going to take a little bit of uh, poetic license here, a little bit of imagery, I guess. Jesus' response to the accusations that were being brought against this woman was to get down on the ground and then raise himself up from the ground to give an answer to the law for her. 
He responded with grace and truth. He responded actually by disqualifying everybody that was there from acting out the law that, that had been written by God and given to the people of God. What's it say? It says that, uh, he says, when they let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. He was disqualifying everyone there from accusing her. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Was Jesus saying, was Jesus saying that we can't judge or discern character or, or decide right from wrong here? I don't think he was. What he was saying was that we are powerless to do anything about it because we suffer from the same condition. We suffer from sinfulness just as the, the woman who was thrown in front of Jesus. In fact, in that situation, Jesus was the only one that had the right to accuse and stone that woman. He was full of truth. He knew what the law said. He knew that that law was, if a man and a woman were caught in adultery, they needed to... Side note, where was the man in all this? <laughs> I'm just saying, like, does he... Anyway. Um, but the law said that if this was the situation, they had to be stoned to death. Jesus was aware of that. He was... He knew these things, he was full of truth, but he was also the only one who could stand up for her, for us, and face the accusations that the law makes against us. He was the only one that was qualified to do that. And I guess that's why when it comes to the issues that we face, the responses that are expected from us when people come to us wanting to know our opinion on this or that, wanting to know where we stand on this or that, looking for an argument. We need to use these kinds of opportunities to introduce them to a Jesus who is full of both grace and truth, where nobody is outside of Jesus' grasp of redemption. You know, he says later on there, then, you know, where are your accusers, woman? She's like, they're all gone. And he's like, that's right. So go now and leave your life of sin. Someone who, there, there is no one outside of his reach. There is no one that is more perfect than him. He is full of both grace and truth. And I guess that's why I'm wanting to challenge you guys here tonight that is it possible that when others bring accusations against us, maybe preconceived notions of what they think we believe, when others demand a response from you. I know it's so, so tempting, so easy, but don't try and give them your, your points, your perfect argument as to why you believe what you believe, because people can deny an argument. People can, uh, people can just throw out the source that you get your argument from, completely, um, completely, my words are running out here, uh, disqualify it from even being relevant. We need to give them, we need to introduce to them the perfect person, 
that person who is grace and truth personified. We need to point to the one who has answered all the accusations that has, have ever been made to us, that answers for all the sin, all the wrongdoing that is in humankind, period. Doesn't matter what your opinion is on this or that. We have all made mistakes. We have all fallen short. And is it possible that we could point others to the, ones who, to the one who has redeemed us? Point them to the one who is the Word made flesh, who dwelt among us, who, who got down on the dirt in the same level as us when we were caught in sin, when we were caught doing the things that we know would separate us from God, but then raised Himself up to answer our accusers, to answer the law. Is it possible? None of us are in a position to, to pardon or, or excuse the, the brokenness, the sin, the wrongdoing that we see around us. And none of us are in a position to enact what the Lord demands for such sin, for such brokenness. Because honestly, we're, we're all in the same boat. And it, it, yeah, it's, it's a broken boat. We can't try to give grace and truth on our own. It, it just doesn't work. We're, honestly, we're going to swing one way or the other. We're either going to be too full of grace or too full of truth, and it gets misunderstood way too easily. We can only point to the one who is both grace and truth personified. How do we do this? How do we do this? First of all, we need to spend, we need to spend, we need to spend time getting to know Jesus. We need to spend at least, you know, that 20 minutes in the chair, we need to spend that time to get to know who this Jesus is, who this Jesus is in the world that we live in now. We need to spend time getting to know Jesus. And then when other people come to us and they're wanting to know, oh, what's your opinion on this? What's your take on this? Uh, who do you, you know, who do you support? What political party do you go for? Can I ask us to start thinking about how we can invite people to Jesus, how we can invite people to get to know the person behind what we believe rather than the argument behind what we believe? So much easier to introduce a person than to introduce a laundry list of arguments. What does that look like practically? Inviting them here, inviting them to Alpha, um, inviting them to experience a community of people who have put that person at the core of what they believe. And seeing the effect that that person, the person of Jesus, seeing that effect playing out in our families, in our kids, in our teenagers, in our uni, in our workplace, that is where people start to, that's where people start to get it. They can't refute that anymore because it's the person of Jesus that is starting to work his way into their life. We need to show them, church, above everything else that we need to show them we don't have the answers, but that we know the one who has, all the, who has answered for us and we can introduce him to them. So just as we finish up, can I just invite us all to stand and I'm just going to pray and then we're... Um, 
we're just going to sing about our Jesus, sing about what he's done for us, celebrate who he is, what he's done in our lives. Heavenly Father, you have put us on this earth for a reason. And you have chosen to come to earth. You chose to send your son to earth to experience everything that we could, to come down to our level, the word made flesh to dwell among us. Thank you that you gave us such an example. Thank you that you gave us such an amazing, transforming, revolutionary God-man in Jesus. Thank you that not only does he understand us, but that he stands in the gap. That he is grace and truth together. That he answers for the law that demands our death, that demands judgment on this entire world. And yet, thank you, Father, that you reached out to us and invited us to know Jesus to put him at the center of our lives that it would transform and shape every part of us. I just pray tonight, God, that you would give us the boldness, give us the strength, and give us the eyes to see the opportunities that we can introduce people to Jesus. In this world that is falling apart, God, in this world that is both seemingly more and more united every year and more and more divided at the same time based on what we believe. God, would you help us to introduce the perfect person, the one who has experienced it all, the one who has been through it all, but the one who conquered it all and saved us all. Thank you, Father, for who you are and what you've done. And I just pray that you would stir up in each of us here tonight a passion to know who Jesus is more and more each day and a passion to introduce the person of Jesus, the revolution that he started to the people who are searching, searching, searching for answers. We praise you, God, for your amazing, amazing love, your amazing grace, your holiness, the beauty of the gospel, the good news. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Church, can we praise him here tonight?